When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Real GM Radio. I'm Danny, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. My guest is the great Seth Partnow of The Athletic, of Statsbomb, of his excellent book, The Midrange Theory, and we talk about the first round of the playoffs, the storylines that have been most important to us, whether that's teams that are playing well or poorly, injuries, refereeing. We go really all over the board, thought it was fun, touch on just about every kind of series and nuance in a little bit less than an hour. I really enjoyed it. And episode is brought to you by betonline.ag. Use that CLNS50 promo code for a 50% welcome bonus. And I hope you enjoy this. Thank you so much for coming on. Hello, Daniel. <laughs> Doesn't it feel like it's been kind of a long... I, I don't know if it feels this way to you. Like, the last two weeks have felt longer. I think that's just the play-in. I, I'm happy the play-in exists, but it is like you get into that sprint before these first-round series really resolve. Um, I don't know. It's. I mean, it. I, I, uh, I was, we were just talking before we started uh, recording. I was sort of on semi-vacation uh, for about the last two weeks, so... Um, I it, it I can't really compare it to a normal year because mm-hmm. because my context was so different. Um, it does seem like there's been a whole lot of basketball yesterday in particular. Just with the four like for some reason the four games back to back to back to back back yesterday. Like I was honestly like when the Wolves Memphis game starts like oh wait there's one more game. <laughs> and it, and it's that and it's that game which I don't know what that series is on but it's on something. I'm. Yeah, no, I, it, it, it's it's good that it's good that like you know the 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 uh, the, the the series that comes on at the same time as show show uh, Showtime after dark is also the drunkest series that uh, we've seen in a while. <laughs> it's and and it's that's been also augmented by the officiating. I try not to be focused on that too much, but in that series, the referees have made themselves very noticeable, and that is that can always change, and and also. Teams that commit silly fouls are are always at risk for these kind of ridiculous games because yeah. it ju- it's just this fu- it's just this cycle where the where the the refs are looking for it and the players have no hesitation giving them out. Speaking of that, I don't know if you and Nate talked about it uh, from Game Three. He one of the bigger sequences in that game was there was like in the midst of Memphis's big second bi- which big run you've got a their final big run where they 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 cut the second like twenty something point lead yeah the twenty one out. Yeah, towards the end of that, there's a play where Jaw drove, Pat Bev stripped him, and the ball pretty clearly went off of, like, Jaw went up in the air and, like, kicked it with his toe out of bounds, and they gave the ball back to Memphis. And they'd already used their challenge. It was an obvious call anyway, and then, like, they inbound the ball and, and, like, either got a layup or banged right there to, like, that was, like, the second-to-last play in the run. And I I, I just was – that was notable given, like, the time and, like, the – the sort of context of, of the play. Sure. And that reminds me of what, there are a lot of different ideas that are out there. And I think generally speaking, officials, NBA officials do a good job. If you ever are skeptical of that, watch a high school game or a college game. And remember that I have what, you know, you and I both watch games up close a fair amount. It's an incredibly hard thing to officiate. But the way I've 
thought of yeah. as the most logical way to kind of not to fix everything and not everything needs fixing, but to clean up some of this is to have a fourth official who is actually watching the television feed. I would have them in the building. I think that just works easier logistically and that they could basically either it would be like a light or something like that, or they just have the unilateral ability, but just like basically like rapid fire reviews. And so it's like, you see this thing and you're like, Oh, that's obviously wrong. Bing. And then it just goes the other way. And it's not like a, a robot umpire actually have been to a robot umpire game where you have to wait for the call and everything like that. You have a human being do it and they just and it can be another one of those that was prominent in game four of that series is making sure fouls are assigned to the correct person. And right. and, and those sorts those sorts of things that you could also throw the uh, the two versus threes and some of the like the goal tens and all that type of stuff there. And maybe only do that for the playoffs. It might be too much of a financial overlay. I don't know. I think the league's making a lot of money right now. It might be fine. But that I think there's some stuff that could be solved with that. Not everything. And I I would rather have that than a fourth official on the floor, personally. Yeah, no, and I think what you're getting at is like, you know, the 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 Memphis series has been like has been bizarre enough that the fact that the games have had very little flow because of that has kind of they've gotten away with that um but yeah this is sort of my 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 big thing about a lot of a lot of the, the these rule changes like all the you know i think we've gone back and forth on what the penalty should be to take away that like to take foul and it's just like you know adding more review situations is like those can be those are just pretty deadly so i, I yeah right and and, and the um, other part of it to me is and i the nba has deliberately moved like not thought about things in this context is that in many ways basketball is an entertainment product and long replay reviews are not entertaining not 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 in many ways in like every, like it that's 100% what it is at the at the professional level like, exactly. so you know it's 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 very like a lot of these 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 replays are a little bit what are we doing here and and but it's also that's... it's also the idea of like getting it 100% right versus yeah, and you're never going to like. So that's for yeah. me. Like, other than adjudicating complicated stuff, like maybe if there's like some sort of fight or like something, something that is really specific. Every replay review should be 30 seconds or less. Yeah. And if you can't figure it out, then you go with the call on the floor. And, you know, th- there are a lot of those kinds of things. And the take foul is is actually, in many ways, the most logical argument against the take foul is the basketball is an entertainment product thing. Is that you're taking away one of the more fun things and you're slowing down the game for something that teams are currently, by the rules, justified to do, but they yep. should not be justified to do. No, so like again, my solution has been that, that that splits the difference is one and the ball non-reviewable. Exactly, and make it a make it a judgment call. And it's to me, it's the intention is to stop the fast break, and so you make, make it, it that you know basically you make it make it you know the equivalent of defensive three seconds. Sure, yeah, you know that's um. And if you did, and, and th- if you did any of those, like there, the argument about one versus two shots in the ball, like like one versus two shots, it's I think one is enough of a deterrence. But if it's not, then you just make it two. But I like it, it, and it's funny because it's one of those things that's not natural in basketball. Like if you played pickup or anything like that if you did that in a like full court pickup game just like called did a take foul it would not like no i've i've played in pickup games where that not unusual like rat like a wrap up in in that kind of situation yeah maybe it's not like it's not like it's like sort of the the like the like there's a there's a version of it the the oh i reached out and slapped the guy (laughs) yeah 
There, there's a version. There was the one at the one at like the the like the was it Blake tried to take it at the end of uh, the Boston towards the end of the Boston game when uh, they didn't call it. Yes, like I, and and uh, Jalen just like ran down and got a dunk. Like those those are the kind of ones that that you know that where the NBA players you should just kind of reach out and like tag you're fouled. Um, sure. Those are those that don't really happen in pickup games, but more of like the okay, I'm beat, I'm wrapping up. Like that happens on the pickup game. That happens some, some. Uh, but yeah. we've talked about calls way too much. Yes, and yeah. I think one of the big take um, one of the big takeaways for me so far of the first round, and you could argue the play in as well, is the importance of having playoff caliber guys in your rotation, or you could put it the importance of not having not playoff caliber players in your rotation. This came up in the first game the Chicago-Milwaukee contest on Sunday. But honestly, throughout it, it's like the these teams are well-coached. They they don't always execute perfectly or plan perfectly. Most, most, mostly. Yes, mostly. Okay. And, and so, but you those, whether it's a severe one-way player who just is a huge liability on the other end and there's a target one way or the other, like giving up open threes, or that isn't really a threat with the ball in their hands or just can't really do those things. It's it even in the first round now, and I always used to think of this as a bigger problem in the second and third rounds, it it is a real limitation. And like for Chicago, some of that is just players being unavailable. Another part of it is just it's it's hard to get that many, you know, it's hard to have eight playoff caliber rotation players. Right. As you know, as, as we're, we're recording this as game four of uh, of Golden State is, is unfolding. And like it's been like, you know, the little bit of a problem Denver's had the last two years is, uh, um, you know, uh, having to play some of those guys a little too much. Exactly. And it also like sometimes those players will have a good game and they'll hit a couple shots and, and it can work out. But you, you're playing with, you're playing with fire and it's not always yep. by choice or anything else like that. And I, I thought it was really interesting in an earlier iteration of the Pelican Sun series. I think that was game three, where I had criticized Willie Green for playing Jackson Hayes because it was, he didn't really, you know, he d- didn't really do enough on either end of the floor. And I still hold by that criticism. But one of the things that Willie Green did instead of pulling Jackson Hayes was use him better, figure out, well, where, where are the competitive advantages here, attacking on the offensive glass, being a supplemental defender. And that's the other way you could do it is it's just a, it's a reminder that you can, you have, you have to be a little bit more intentional in those circumstances. But Willie Green, I think it was a reminder that using those players better can be a solution. I don't think it's a superior one, depending on your personnel, but it can work too. I think that, that another example of this as, and I, frankly, I was, I was surprised, but heartened by the fact that they went back to him a little in game four is, is Memphis with, uh, with Steven Adams. Sure. Um, I think that I, I think that like, excising your start like a starting player on your team rotation in the second game of the playoffs for a team that success i think is a little a little i don't want to say panicky but a little it, it I, I i question it but since the since it was sort of a an in the flow of the, the flow of the series thing and we'll play him when it makes sense I wouldn't be surprised, frankly, if he started Game Five. Um, it's like Tillman didn't really give them much anymore, and I don't know how much they really want to start with Clark and Jackson. And they, I, I don't think they can start Jackson at the five because he'll play like twelve minutes <laughs> because he's yeah, at the five. He's a 
box. Um, but yeah, that, that's certainly that's all that those decisions are because it's like, you know, you go. It's one of those things like we, we mad at coaches for playing veterans when they shouldn't. But then we get mad at other coaches for playing young guys that aren't ready. And, you know, and, and so th- these are not easy decisions. And yet we have strong opinions about them. That's very true and very fair. And it's also hard for coaches and players alike because circumstances can be so specific. Like Steven Adams has been a positive player for Memphis. He's been an uh, an important part of the success they've had. Not the most important, but an important part of it. But he is a, Carl Anthony Towns is a specifically bad matchup for him. And players have to, you know, you're not only are you dealing with this series and potentially moving forward, but I mean, Memphis, he's under contract for next year and everything else. And so, I think Adams will take it well, and he'll, he under, he understands it, but it can be very difficult in these circumstances. And like another one of those, the difficulty of coaching elements of this for me, and I don't know exactly how to handle all of this stuff, is Steve Nash with Brooklyn. Like, I am very sympathetic to the idea that, especially with some of the peculiarities of the players that have been involved in that organization over the last two years, that it is an incredibly hard coaching job just to navigate the personalities and all of that. But it is also hard to navigate on the basketball floor. That set, especially in game three, I thought it was actually more stark in three than in one and two, whether we're talking about the effort stuff or execution, the Celtics are a harder playing, better prepared, better executing, whether it's preparation or execution team than the Nets are right now. And sure, you can talk about gelling, you can talk about all that stuff, but the Nets haven't done a lot of the kind of marginal stuff particularly well over the last two years, whether that's stars not wanting to do it or anything else. And I don't know how to reconcile that personally. I, I mean, uh, this this season has kind of been a lot of bad decision theater for Brooklyn. And, you know, we can we can get into specific stuff. I, I thought that they sort of, they, they almost panicked by bringing, by bringing me back when they were uh, suffering from, from the same kind of uh, replacement player um, or a player kind of glut that everyone was. And they're like, oh, we got to... And like, I think that marked that. I mean, it's a convenient narrative, but I mean, I think that that marks a turn point in there and, you know, everything's kind of flowed from there. And and frankly, like, and it kind of continues, like, announcing that Simmons is going to be ready. And then they're down 3-0, like, ah, never mind. And I don't think it's a bad, I think it's the right decision. I don't think you bring them back to get swept. Like that's uh, there, there's the 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 there's not really a lot of upside in bringing him back. Yeah, but why say he's going to play in game four before game three? I don't like. There's a lot of uh, what you're doing here, right? And so you can go on and and the Simmons element. It's it's always so interesting, and you've been closer to this in a different perspective. I'm not sure if you want to talk about that, but there is like maybe it's because of gambling or maybe it's something else. The idea that they feel like they need to give updates when the answer is that they don't know is is fundamentally different and and like so if if Simmons like okay he's getting closer to being ready and like you could just say like we're hoping that he's ready but we're not sure backs are tricky like I think as much as I hate nebulous injury reporting from teams when you don't know I'm okay with it and it and I also like you I understand not wanting to bring Ben Simmons in in a game four when you're down 3-0 like I completely understand that but yeah I, I agree with that but for me another kind of element of this and part of it is that I you know I watched a lot of Kevin Durant you know in person and not at his previous stop and of course I watched a lot of him on the nets 
And Brooklyn, and it'll be so interesting if they end up changing coaches or whatever, they do so little kind of like system buckety stuff, you know, like trying to use off ball things, anything, anything that is involved, like involving other defenders when Katie or Kyrie has the ball. And a lot of that stuff, I think back to his former teammate, Stephen Curry, like a lot of that stuff is going to lead to nothing. Like you're just doing it. It's working. It's, it's energy. It's not guaranteed to even get a better look at all. But it can occupy defenders, it can get defenses discombobulated, and Brooklyn's stagnation, I think, whether you want to blame it on the players or you want to blame it on the coach, it is a real problem for them. So, I mean, this is this is a this is a, a I guess the I guess the term of the day is gelling. This is a gelling issue, I think, as much as anything else. It like, could be, yeah. Like and, and like, because sort of the one player who is who is kind of doing some of that is Bruce Brown, and he's the guy who probably has the most of the 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 support players in the Nets. He's the guy who has the most sort of oh guys who are playing you know regularly. He's he's the one with the most familiarity with Durant and and, and Kyrie. So that's with playing with them. Sure. So that's the one guy who can sort of read them. And, um, and there's also a fair argument that if Joe Harris were available, he could do some of that stuff as well. Yeah. But it's also, I mean, really, it's like kidding. They've had they've had their team, the playoff version of their team. They've basically not had at any point this year, really, because injuries and like you know you're bringing in Dragic and you're trading Harden and you're you know you're you're you know you're trying to integrate Seth Curry and, and Andre Drummond and so they you know this is the you know I think that the continuity thing gets overdone. However, we are seeing that you need some of it. Like, you know, especially, the, you know, this is one of those dirty secrets of the NBA is especially second half of the season, you don't have a lot of practice time. And so right. the Nets are basically the Nets are, you know, if you're saying that they that, you know, it's it's often a pejorative to say, oh, they are a pickup team. Well, the Nets are about as close as you're going to see in the NBA playoffs. Right. And I mean, some of that is because there are too many games, but another part of it is just the structure of the season, because you're only going to really have a practice if you're staying in the same place and have a full day off. And there aren't that many of those within an NBA season. And I actually, one of the other big takeaways for me, kind of on that front, related to the play-in that I'm pretty thrilled about, is that those top six seeds have get a week off. And some of these players, I mean, Al Horford comes to mind, Stephen Curry, mostly because he was still coming back from injury. Like, you could go all over the map. Jimmy Butler looked so much better with a full week off, and some of these teams got to practice a little bit, that it's not why the league did the play-in, but I think it's a really nice spillover benefit. Yeah, and it's, 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 take a breath is 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 nice. Um I'm trying to remember. I think my my last year with the Bucks. I think we had our last game on like a Wednesday and played Saturday, it, it, like in the playoffs. And it was you know it that, that was a, even that was a pretty quick turnaround time. Now we you know we, we were playing a team that we ended up beating by about 140 points in four games. So it was. Yeah. You know, it wasn't as as rough as it could have been, but still, that's the the difference between like okay, between two days between and like five, six, seven days is pretty substantial. Just in terms of you can actually just take a day or two and kind of do nothing, just get some shooting in, get some treatment in, let the let the coaching staff watch some film, come up with some stuff, and then get to it the next day, and just kind of that that mental cleansing. Right. And also, there were some complaints of, oh, that's, you know, they get this advantage and the other teams don't. That's why you want to finish with a better record. Yeah. Yeah. 
No, it's, it's, uh, Dave Dufour and I were talking about this on on, on my show the other day. Um, you, you know, it's, it, it's you can't say it's an unfair advantage. Every team has the the opportunity. Win your games, you get the advantage. Like how how do you ever hear? Oh, it's unfair that the team with the best record in the conference doesn't have to play in the wild card game. Do you ever hear that in, in football? No, because it's like it's understood that like they've earned the right of a bye week, and so I don't. You know, I don't see I don't see it as being any different. On top of that, the league doesn't have like they could do even more extreme stuff like choosing opponents and everything else if they wanted to to give that reward. And I think that I would- just I you know I'm I'm fully on board with that just just for like the bulletin board petty reasons of of choosing opponents. <laughs> there are there are so many reasons that I I think it's a really it's a really fascinating idea. Um and I. I think the unfortunate thing is that I think if the league had tried it once, it would just be the way it was forever because everyone would realize that they like it better. It's sort of like what happened with the college football playoff where it's like, oh, it could be like this. And but there's a lot of people see the downsides who have indecisions power. And I understand that. Like there's there there are people who are less interested in the petty fun of this than we are. (laughs) But we are very interested in that. Plenty more with Seth Partnow to come, but first a message from BetOnline.ag. Our partners at BetOnline continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports information. Find all the latest sports developments, including updated odds on the playoffs, fights, and even next season's futures. And don't forget that baseball is back and the start of Major League Baseball season is finally here. BetOnline is your continued source for all of your sports wagering needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino and poker games it is super easy to get started so head to the website today or use your mobile device to join and use our promo code clns50 to receive your 50 percent welcome bonus on your first deposit also tells them of course that you came from us which we really appreciate so use that clns50 promo code at bet online where the game starts unfortunately another element of the first round so far has been injuries and injuries to teams that have loftier aspirations than the first round. I'm still kind of trying to process a lot of these, you know, like Joel Embiid, it looks like he's going to play through at least for now, his thumb issue bookers out for two to three weeks. Chris Middleton's out for two to three weeks. Kyle Lowry is not playing later on Sunday, but we don't have a timeline other than day to day with him. Which of those but injuries? Ha- but it's a ha- but it's a hamstring. So yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, and then Van Vliet and numerous others. So like, which of which of those? Because what I think is striking about this, especially with the two teams that made the finals last year, is these are significant injuries to teams that have real real aspirations. Do, do you think this makes them sufficiently vulnerable during this time? It does, but the timing is more is less unfortunate for uh, Phoenix. I think that they can they have it, it'll be more difficult, but I think they have plenty enough to handle either Dallas or Utah, even with Booker for not part or none of that series. Um, I think the Bucks against this Celtics, especially Robert Williams back Celtics without Middleton, like. That's uh, that, that's pack of lunch territory. Um, like the Celtic, like you know, before Robert Williams got hurt, I was picking the Celtics to win to win the East. Um, and now that Robert Williams is back and everyone else is getting hurt, I think I'm picking the Celtics to win the East. <laughs> so um, I, I think that's. But you know, the 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 
the biggest potential test before the finals for Phoenix is probably Golden State. Um, you know, Memphis is probably is looked like less of a playoff team, and I, I don't want to overreact. I think maybe that they've like them being sort of a less experienced team, like the sort of the, the chaos and randomness and just craziness of, that, of Minnesota. Like maybe they're refracting that a little bit, and maybe they they play a little more solid against Golden State, for example, assuming they make it through. Um, but um, the the having three weeks instead of a week for Booker to get right, um, I think is a pretty substantial difference, you know, in terms of, of when those teams play their most dangerous opponent. Right. And it's, it's fair to note that Phoenix hasn't played Dallas since mid January and Dallas went on this big run towards the end of the season. And of course they changed around, but Phoenix was three now. And when you think about it, even just more broadly, conceptually, Phoenix has good personnel to slow down either Dallas or Utah because heliocentric team with a forward size guy, but Suns have lots of guys who can defend that and they have interior help. I think Aiton could be a very valuable presence in that series. And they also have Chris Paul who can defend whichever of the other perimeter dudes is out there. So that part should be fine. And Utah, I'm not particularly worried about Phoenix, even without Devin Booker handling handling their attack. And then they should be able to score enough. And New Orleans, I thought Chris Paul was unbelievable. Oh in, my gosh. In in game four. But it's you know, it, the sledding could be a little bit more sorry, game three. The sledding could be a little bit more difficult in a in a second subsequent series, but I think they have enough there, and especially with those with those defensive advantages. So you're right. I mean, and again, it's the the twists of fate of this kind of stuff is that Phoenix benefit of being the being the one seed is that it ended up being a you could argue, especially with Lucas injury, a softer four or five. And you know, like it very could, we didn't know until the last game of the season that Golden State was going to be the three and not the four. And also, you know, Memphis of course was on the other side because they were far enough ahead of everybody else, and that happens. And it's it, it's a good thing for them. But my concern with Booker in that same sense, and and it's so hard to convey. I remember going back to 2016. This was something that people, especially those who didn't want to listen, but but many people didn't, is that being available to play and being 100% are very different things. And that is a practical concern for a lot of these things involved. I think Joel Embiid on, on Saturday is a good example of this as well, and he just played it. But so we're going to see this story over the next few weeks where Kyle Lowry is going to come back from his hamstring issue and Booker and Middleton, hopefully none of these players suffer setbacks, but when they return, they're not the same player that they were when they left. And it's going to take another couple weeks, probably in many of these cases. And with Embiid, it's even harder because it doesn't look like the issue is going to resolve. And so it, there is this like prior, you could call it in your head of this is how good Chris Middleton is. This is how good Devin Booker is. And you have to discount that because they're dealing with this limitation that affects the way they play. Uh, I would, you know, okay, that's, that, that, that's, yes, from a fan perspective, that's one thing. I think the big issue is that, and I think we saw this a little bit in game four with Dallas, is the team plays like it's the maxi version. Not yeah, maxi that's, enough, but that, like that, that's, the, that's a really good point. Because, like, everything that Dallas was doing to carve up Utah's defense, now, credit to Utah, they play better, but... Is also like you know Luca is not is is not a a blow by you guy. So the fact that that you know they just did less of Jalen Brunson and Spencer Dinwiddie just getting by their guy. They just did less of that because they had the ball less in their hands. So they went back to Luca ball 
and Luca Ball's good, but very good, obviously. But I think that that um, just in this in in this specific matchup that hurt them. And so you're like Phoenix does a lot of stuff like moving Booker around, and if he's like less mobile, but they still like try to play as if he's not. I think that that probably does have some knock on effects. I was thinking about that during game four of that series. And it, it's a very logical thing for players to be like, Luca's on the floor. We're going to be that team again. And, and, and another fundamental difference that I noticed with Dallas in that game was I loved in one, two, and three how Brunson and Dinwiddie did a good job attacking kind of whatever was in front of them, but also doing the doing the marginal work to get somebody advantageous if they could. And with Luca, he's in so much more of a rhythm when he when the person setting the screen for him is the center. And, you know, he's great at passing to the role man and everything else like that. And there were a few times where they tried to get Bogdanovich off of Luca through like a very perfunctory screen. And then basically Bogdanovich would do the equivalent of like just sinking under it. But one other thing that Dallas wasn't doing, so they were they were trying that every once in a while to maybe to get Clarkson or whatever else, is that Luca maybe because of the calf or maybe I don't know he, he operates as his own cadence. If they're going to do that kind of drop under thing, then the way you can counter that is to just go right away to not to to basically make it so that he can't recover. And they were just like, okay, well, if you're gonna if you're gonna do that, we're fine. Then we'll just do something else. Like we'll get in, we'll rescreen, we'll do other things. And if it had been games one, two, and three, they would have had a more direct approach. And it w- I, that part of it. So I'm not arguing anything like the Mavs are better without Luca or anything else. I'm just noting that, especially in this iteration of things, they weren't attacking and weren't attacking mismatches in the same way. That's right. Like no, I mean, and, and that's and so they. I mean, they they just they they played with a different sort of a similar style, but a different rhythm with with the ball not just kind of in Luca's hands. And some of that, I think, with Luca probably was you know it's it's hard to tell because he's a deliberate and measured player anyway. But it did seem in the first half like you know to, for the extent that he tries to play with pace, uh, he didn't have any pace to play with. And the, and and I'm not saying like run up and down the floor, but just like any sort of explosion. And that was, you know, Brunson's not a fast player, but he was getting downhill uh, in, in, in game in, in a lot of the series. So I think that's what we're talking about. Yeah, I, I think that's completely fair. And we'll get a clearer sense of where all this is in game five when that comes to pass. And the other kind of, for me, broader scope takeaway is, and of course, some of this is pending the injuries that unfortunately have already happened, and unfortunately there will probably be more that come, getting pretty excited for the series that are coming in the second and third round. Like, we're we're going to get some really good teams and some fascinating matchups, and part of, I mean, we'll see. I was feeling really optimistic about Philly before we got the news about Embiid's ligament, and obviously Lowry's now a question mark as well. But it just so happened that I think we're we're kind of this is this is going to be to me a good filter of teams that are kind of at that level versus teams that might not quite be there just yet. I, mean, I think that's right. I mean, I think we, you know, certainly I think you you sort of feel the same way. But a lot of times we're talking about, you know, it's maybe it's a different formulation of the quote unquote 16 game player thing. But what what can this guy do in second round plus of the playoffs? What can this team do? in second round plus the playoffs. And that's sort of, especially as, you know, regular season and playoff basketball diverge even more, that's sort of the measuring stick for that, for that subset of teams that like thinks that they're, that they're in with a chance. 
Yeah, I think that's a, a fair way of putting it. And where things go from here, and and unfortunately, we know a lot of those are going to shift on injuries. We brought up Middleton and versus the Celtics, you know, like that that injury is going to be so so much more prominent in, in that circumstance. And I think though that like the Celtics deserve so much credit like i know and justifiably a lot of digital ink will be spilled assuming things go to form whether it's four games or five games with what's going on with brooklyn you have these two star players that are together and everything else but are, are, are there two star anyway but anyway um but they have, there's, there's boston there's Kevin, there's boston durant and, and what else anyway <laughs> but especially like i don't want jason tatum series to go underappreciated i don't want him to get short shrift because The Celtics defensive theory, the Celtics defensive execution, and a fair amount of what they've done offensively has been simply spectacular. Uh, I mean, so this is, um, I'm watching these games very closely with an eye towards updating the tiers. Uh, And uh, Jason Tatum is um, threatening tier one status. Uh, That's, and I think that's, you know, this is the very short list of, you know, of top guys in the NBA. Like, um, and he's been on both ends of the floor, just absolutely superb in, in, in this series. And he's, I mean, he has been for much of the second half of the year. I mean, I think his, his development as a playmaker has really unlocked some stuff for Boston offensively. And then defensively, they are playing about as well as I can ever remember a team playing. There's in, in the last game, there's a couple breakdowns where they just kind of showed like Kevin Durant, like working on and off ball and just the amount of switching, re-switching, hedging communication that Boston is doing without even, not even having guys moving a lot, but just communicating. So a guy like pivots or takes one slide step and then slide back and does do it all in unison. It's just so impressive and is, is almost the perfect counterpoint uh, for gelling or lack thereof. I've been super impressed with Boston, especially given the context of Robert Williams' absence and then sudden return, where we saw how well they were playing, how well how well everything was going for Boston before that. It was deflating, because like you, I was thinking the Celtics were at least going to be very competitive in the East. I, I hadn't really honed my idea of who I was going to pick. I kind of wanted to see where the see where the bracket sh- shook out and everything else like that, but they were going to have a real shot. And I was, I definitely had them over Miami, but it was them versus Milwaukee, which will be, of course, the second round series should results hold. And to see them do so many things so well, especially in the first two games of the series without Williams at all, against an opponent that both challenges and doesn't challenge your execution in different ways because like you don't have to have as much communication in certain aspects because then the nets aren't going to challenge it in the same way but you also need to make sure that you stay really diligent because that's what makes life harder on their best players yeah that's that, that's right um it's a as with as with a lot of these first round series i think it's it's um maybe a good a good matchup for them to look good in some of the things they do um you know we i think we that we've been, we've talked about that a little with 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 Jalen Brunson with Jordan Poole with with some other players where like they are playing really well and they also are doing so in what is a very good uh, a very good opportunity for them to do well yeah i think that's that's a very a very good way to put it and trying to figure out if there's any kind of other other lingering elements from these from these series that we are going to like that that we don't know now this is one way i like to think about things what do we not know now that we will or should know by the end of round one 
I think we're going to learn a lot about Memphis, like where they are from a approach standpoint. I don't think their approach has been particularly good to this series. Um, and again, I don't know how much of that is just like refracting Minnesota's it, nuttiness. Is this not attacking D'Angelo Russell or how? where do you want to go with this? I mean, it's like, okay, they're still playing a 10-man rotation and um, yeah, not attacking D'Angelo Russell, but also just sort of... Like it takes it takes two to tango for a series to be just completely wild in this way. And okay, Minnesota does that, but like um, I'm trying to figure out the right word because like dumb feels mean. But Minnesota's Minnesota's not a not a wise team in terms of situational awareness. And they can be they can be a little oblivious or reckless. Oblivious is a really good, a really good, uh, you know, like Minnesota is what basketball would actually look like. Each each possession was an independent event. (laughs) It's like, oh, this is a good shot. If if a first quarter possession and a fourth quarter possession are the same, this shot is still a good shot. No, it's not in this spot. Um, Yeah, I don't know. That's the the thing. I feel like that's the team we're going to learn something about. Um, I don't know. I think that we're, 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 we're approaching game four of of uh, Miami Atlanta um how how well Miami is able to close this series out will tell us something I think if they make heavy work of what's a really flawed Atlanta team because they can't score um I don't like that's that that would be worrisome for for as they move on to tougher matchups I got really concerned during game three just because it, it served as a reminder of how few players can cultivate an advantage for Miami. They do some of it through, you know, like team movement. And it feels like so long ago that Duncan Robinson scored 27 points in a game in this series. But in the late portion of game of game three, they're playing, as you mentioned, an extremely limited Hawks team, especially with Quinn Capella unavailable. And they were leaning a lot on Tyler Hero, and Hero deserves credit for being someone that you can lean on in those circumstances, and there aren't many players who come off the bench that you can, but it being on his shoulders and, and Jimmy's limitations, you know, kind of creating good shots, especially if he's not getting to the free throw line, it it's it's interesting because it reminded me, like there was this weird thing, I talked about this a little bit, I can't remember who it was with, I think it was with our mutual friend Jared Dubin, about how... Miami had this immensely successful regular season, but a big part of how and why that happened was these at like they got more from their depth guys than I anticipated. And there, I had this fleeting thought during all of that that it's like, did they really solve my original concerns or did they just handle them in the regular season? And that stuff's creeping back for me, if not just like sprinting back. There was a point in the end of the first quarter start of the second quarter of game three where i believe their lineup was duncan robinson Tyler hero gabe vincent Dwayne deadman and jimmy butler and I, I don't i don't have a point beyond that other than saying um oh boy i don't know is that yeah is that, i don't yeah i don't and i don't you know it's not this isn't necessarily a criticism of spo because he can't like in the he can't be like there's he can't play just okay Kyle Jimmy PJ Bam forty two minutes a night for two straight months uh, I mean he, he can't do that especially like that's it's a group of guys that gets injured so you know and you know yeah I've seen a little bit with Lowry so you, you kind of can't do that but not by not doing that then you're left with the decision of of which of Max Struess and Gabe Vincent and Duncan Robinson 
do I feel least uncomfortable with? I'm I'm frankly surprised Caleb Martin hasn't been more involved. I think he uh, he he bridges a couple of gaps for them that I think could be useful. I mean, just again, it's there's a player archetype that is that is playoff useful, which is the the you know physically robust, whether through athleticism or body strength, mid-sized wing, and they don't have you know. Okay, Struess kind of has the size, but he's not mobile enough. Um, and like Vincent is like the uh, not Vincent uh, Martin is like the one guy in their their uh, of their bench guys who who kind of does that. And kind of do like some of the the Pat Connaughton stuff that the Bucks got last year. Yeah, that's an interesting comp. I, I think that you know filling filling that kind of role, you're not going to ask them to do a lot, but don't 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 screw up and compete and make life as hard for the your cover as you can is actually such an important niche in the playoffs, and it act, there are actually not that many players that can fill it. As as much as you could say, it's you're not asking that much. It's still hard to do, especially if that player needs to get guarded. Well, it's, it's also, I mean, the other thing is, is, is those kind of players, they, they pick up extra possessions also. I mean, you know, uh, some, some key moments in the, in Bucks playoff run last year were Connaughton, like coming from the weak side and grabbing offensive rebounds. Um, and you know, again, uh, Duncan Robinson and Max Struess are not swooping in for a weak side board. And, but Caleb Martin might. Yeah, or you could even throw, and he has his own limitations, but like DeLon Wright competing on defense, getting some deflections, getting some rebounds. Like it gives the Hawks an element that they just example. don't have in their a back. Perfect, perfect example. Good size so that he's not like just an obvious physical liability. Um, even if he ends up getting like forced to to match up with with you know maybe not the the big you know maybe if he maybe if he ends up on on bam it's a problem but anyone else it's like it may not be ideal if he if he like is ending up on jimmy butler in the post but he's not gonna like no compete that and i love the point i can't remember if it was like matt moore or nikias or someone else who said that seeing delon wright go from out of the rotation to in the rotation on basically its new team every single year is just such a bizarre experience but we're, we're seeing it again delon i don't like delon wright is good and i don't know anyway well delon wright so i think my theory of the challenge is that delon wright is good but he is not good at the common things for his position and so that can that can drive front offices and or coaches a little bit batty um but there is a and also that player is so much more valuable to me if as long as you don't you can deal with their offensive limitations in the playoffs because you're maximizing every possession the scouting report type of stuff but like you know you're not going to change everything that you do defensively game by game possession by possession in the regular season but i think he's really given the hawk something yeah i think that's right anything else that's striking you or are we about done here oh you know i i i, I I think we're. I mean, there's there's plenty more to see. Um, as as we were recording this, the the, the Nuggets uh, pulled out a game for a win, so that that's you know good for them. Bones Bo- Bo- Highland game. Um, I do. I mean, I guess the last thing to touch on is I don't like. Like I don't even want to dip my toe in this, but like this series reflects, if anything, positively on Jokic winning the MVP. Um, just the fact that they're, you know, I don't know. Anyway, the fact that they're even here didn't have to go to the playing game and are actually like competitive in in some of these games against a a massively more talented team i don't know Jokic is awesome and i get frustrated that people try to 
whether it's in good faith or in bad faith, try to turn the regular season MVP into something that it is not. It is not a ranking of the league's best player, the league's best playoff player, or anything else. It is its own thing. And if other people or the league want to measure or that other thing they are fully within their rights to, I would love to see a full playoffs MVP. I think it would be a really fun thing for the league to, you know, the equivalent of the Con Smythe or something else. It'd be, it'd be great. It will inevitably have a lot of recency bias and it will probably be a player on the team that wins the championship, but it's not the same thing. And part of what to me makes basketball great is that there is this level of nuance that it's not like baseball where, I mean, baseball is a different sport in the postseason to be sure usage of pitchers and everything else. And I've fallen out of it enough that I'm not going to articulate all of these differences, but like in basketball, there are times and I would love to see the league move in directions to make the regular season a little bit more like the playoffs, but I'm fine with that distinction. It's just, the I think it's the only way to make it survivable to play as many games as the league needs to, to make the money it wants to. You can't, you cannot operate at the level of, you know, there's a play in, in the, you, uh, maybe you remember this play where, uh, in the, the Memphis, um, Minnesota game four, where like Desmond Bain, it's a layup, uh, they, uh, sprinting back down the court, they kind of throw a, a loopy outlet pass to his guy who's dribbling on the floor. It's a little in front of the guy. Des- he takes two steps and like full layout dive to try to get to the ball. <laughs> And it's just like you can't, you can't, you can't play that way for nine months. You can't. You just can't. And and that play led to a really funny moment, also where Desmond Bain did not get the turnover, but then I think it was McDaniel's just threw the ball out of bounds immediately after it, which was also that's the Wolves being the Wolves. Yeah, maybe. I mean, that's a discussion for another time, perhaps. But I like this is some. This is like for as exciting a team as the Wolves are. I am very worried about the ceiling of this construction of the Wolves, not from a talent standpoint, but just from a. knowing how to make the right play uh, at the right time standpoint. Well, Seth, I'll give you I'll give you something. So I'm pretty close to submitting. I think it's going to end up being a 2P series for The Athletic on what, I'm not the original coiner of this, but extend or trade. So basically the idea that a player is a pending unrestricted free agent, you need to make a decision where you kind of negotiate an extension or you should trade them because letting them leave for nothing is too dangerous. And one of the players who, to me, fits that description is D'Angelo Russell. Because pending unrestricted, the Wolves actually have a different inflection point because they could just let him walk and have cap space, either to trade for a player or just sign somebody outright, depending on who is interested. But that decision point with D'Angelo Russell in particular, considering the growth of Anthony Edwards and what we expect to happen for him in the future and the evolution of this. Can I, can I break in? Sure. Can I break in? I don't think this is a hard decision. I agree with you. <laughs> like, I don't know. I, this is, you know, if, if you have, if you have intentions with the, you know, what you want to call it the towns, Edwards or Edwards towns core, um, D'Angelo Russell's a handbrake. He's a handbrake, but the the other basic point of it is there is always a risk of, you know, 30 million in cap space, let's call it, is is a mystery box. It could be anything. It could even be a boat. But the let's say that your not worst case scenario, but like a low end scenario is overpaying a 20 to 30 starter at their position considering this is, where the- so this isn't uh, this isn't an over this isn't like an overpay this is one this is one something the, the these playoffs are kind of crystallizing to me is the dnw list do not want mm-hmm. 
if if there are guys if if I'm trying to build a championship, I don't want that guy playing a, ro- a role on my team. And okay, fine. If if like you could have D'Angelo Russell as your ninth guy, yeah, sure. But that's not going to happen. Yeah, so. it, it, uh, my my version of it is like the functional do not draft. If where I'm it's trying like, to build a contender, I don't want the go ahead. Yeah, no. So I like I so if I'm if I'm trying to build a contender, don't want D'Angelo Russell on my team. Like you know, sort of regardless of alternatives or price. Um, it's, like, because I just like I don't I, I might not know what the right answer is, but or, or, or but I know that that he's not it. And there are players around the league that I think are revelatory in that way for different reasons. Um, some of whom we, we may have alluded, we may have referenced. Without <laughs> do you do you want um, to blow up any more spots, or do you want to save that for future work? I mean, no, I just, uh, you know the like 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 let's just say that that D'Angelo Russell is 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 not the only uh, shoot first point guard on this list. Completely fair. We can stop it there, so we can each take the time to watch the remaining games on Sunday. But thank you so much for taking the time. Thanks for having me. Thanks again to Seth Partnow for taking the time to come on. You can read his work at The Athletic. You can and should damn well better read his excellent book, The Midrange Theory, which you can get in various different forms. Whatever tickles your fancy there, I'm sure Seth would appreciate it. It is excellent, especially if you are interested in the kind of conversation that we had. And you can also check out the Nerder She Wrote podcast and follow Seth on Twitter at Seth Partnow, S-E-T-H-P-A-R-T-N-O-W. Love having him on and... Releasing an episode on Sunday afternoon is a good example that Real GM Radio will never come out on a specific day of the week. So one of the great ways you can support the show is by subscribing, downloading every episode, whatever podcast player you use, Apple, Spotify, wherever. Really do appreciate that. You can also help other people find the show through leaving a rating, leaving a review, spreading the word on social media. Really do appreciate all that. And then the single most important thing you can do for this show or any other that has them is to check out our sponsors. For us, that is Bet Online, And you can use that CLNS50 code to get a 50% welcome bonus for yourself and to tell them that you came from us. And really do appreciate that. can also check out my other work. Nate Duncan and I still going strong with Dunked On and Dunked On Prime. I believe Saturday night was the first time we hadn't recorded in over a week. It might have been almost two weeks with all the all the action that's going on. And so it's a great time to be a Prime subscriber. And then written work at The Athletic. I, I teased one of the pieces in the conversation with Seth I'm working on, and that should be going through editorial soon. It's probably going to be a two-parter because it's I haven't finished submitting it yet, but it's almost 3,000 words, so I can see it being split into two. Um, but it's a pretty interesting topic, so that should be there. And then I have other stuff in the works, of course, as well. And a couple of people have asked, and we've Nate and I have talked about in other spaces, but as he recently became a father, we are not sure what the plans are going to be in terms of doing live broadcasts for the playoffs. We can't do the league pass broadcast because there are no league, more league pass games anymore, but we can do, you know, we had, we had a really good relationship with hot Mike last year and we both really enjoy doing it, but it's, you know, for me, it's his family comes first and the logistics of everything, you know, like if you do it that way, then catching up on games and getting everything else done can be really difficult. So we hope to be able to do that in the future, but we don't know exactly what the timing will be there. So appreciate the interest and appreciate the support. And we will let you know when we know. So that is the way it can always work. If you have any feedback on the show, good, bad, or indifferent, Danny LaRue, NBA at gmail.com is the way to get to me. If you take the time to write it, I will take the time to read it. That is an absolute promise. And I'll try to reply. I'm still shaky at that, but I, I do read everything. That's extremely important to me. Um, and that is enough for now. I'm going to go watch some more basketball and talk about some more basketball later. So thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day. Mm-hmm.